You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, the show of all sorts that sorts all by serving up a slice of life. What is your order? Ah, I see. The special it is, we will be there to deliver ASAP. Cosmic Pizza Podcast, special delivery. Hello, and welcome to your special delivery of the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. I'm Sean from Canada, and with me today are... Dan in the UK. And Paul in the UK. And we are here to serve you a delicious slice of life, just like always. Today's topic is the works of Michael Crichton. And I guess that uh, we're all going to learn a little bit of something here, because this was Paul's idea, and... Dan and I don't really know that much about the works of Michael Crichton, other than, of course, uh, Jurassic Park and a few other things. So Paul is here to educate us and all of you listeners out there in podcast land all about who this uh, fine, tall fellow was. So, Paul. Yes. Um, th- this idea came around um, just after or uh, just after Christmas last year. Uh, and I got a couple of films that I've... I've I remember seeing many, many years ago, and I, I was really struggling to find a, you know, copies of these DVDs. Even Snips had let me down. That you know, they, they, they didn't have a copy of it uh, either, which is very, very strange. Um, and when you look on, on their websites, they were all £52, £80, £100, because obviously they were, they're, they're not in print anymore. Mm. And eventually I managed to track a couple down, and they, and they were sort of in the mid-20s, £25. I thought, well, I've got to buy them, otherwise I'll, I'll never get hold of a copy. And um, I, I've watched one of these films, and then I thought, oh, oh, this was by um, Michael Crichton. Okay, fair enough. And then I watched another, another film. Oh, this one's by Michael Crichton as well. And it just so happened that a few days later, Westworld popped up on TV, and I thought, well, I know that's Michael Crichton. You know, how many of these things? He's, I've seen lots of films that he has made uh, and never knew it was him. Uh, you know, I was never really big into directors. I was always into sort of like actors on you know, what you see on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly he came along and I thought, Why did, how many of these things has he done? So that's when I started looking around and I thought, holy cow, I've seen more stuff than I've actually actually realised than I have. I've never read any of his books, but um, he, he's written a few, and but most of them have gone straight onto TV or into films. So I thought, let's, let's just dig into him a little bit more and, and find out a little bit more about him. Now, you two guys, uh, just before we were coming on, we, you, uh, Sean, you said that you hadn't seen... Um, or hadn't read any of his books or seen any of his films, uh, other than the obvious one, you know, Jurassic Park. That's, that's the biggie. That's um, big, yeah. yeah. And Dan was saying he hadn't uh, thought he'd seen any. And then as soon as we started mentioning names, he was going, hang on a minute. I've seen that one. Hang on a minute. I've seen that one. So yeah, it's amazing how he creeps up on you. So, so first of all, who is Michael Crichton? Well, Michael Crichton was born on October the 23rd, 1942, and was an American author and filmmaker. Crichton was born in Chicago, Illinois, but grew up in Roslyn in New York. His father was a journalist and encouraged him to write and to type. 
Uh, he gave up studying English at Harvard University, having become disillusioned with the teaching standards. The final straw came when he submitted an essay by George Orwell that was given a B minus. After giving up English and spending a year uh, in Europe, uh, Michael returned to Boston, Massachusetts and attended Harvard Medical School to train as a doctor. Several times he, he was persuaded not to quit the course, but did so after qualifying in 1969. During his medical student days, he wrote novels secretly, mainly under the pseudonym of John Lang, in reference to his almost six foot nine height. And that is only something I found out half an hour ago before this show, when I was, I was trying to find a picture of him and realized he's, he's huge. huge. Yeah, mm. it's incredible. I mean, you don't see too many people at six foot nine. Mm. So he was, he was writing under the pseudonym of John Lang because Lang in Germany means long. Wow. One novel, A Case of Need, written under the pseudonym Geoffrey Hudson. Uh, so Geoffrey Hudson was a famous uh, 17th century man of short stature. Uh, containing, uh, contained references to people at Harvard Medical School, but he couldn't hide his identity when the novel won an award that had to be collected in person. After giving up medicine, Michael moved to Hollywood, California, in the early 1970s and began directing movies based on his books. Now, I like the way that just sort of flows, you know, moved to Hollywood, started directing movies, because that's how it happens, isn't it? And it's so easy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You just go there, you walk down the street, and some guy, hey, do you want to direct a movie? Why oh, do I? <laughs> they're all intimidated because he was taller than them, so yes. they're not going to say no, are they? That's true. That's true. His first big break uh, was Westworld in 1973. His books have sold over 200 million copies worldwide, and over a dozen have been adapted into films. His liter literary works are usually within the science fiction, techno thriller, and medical fiction genres, and heavily feature technology. His novels often explore technology and the failures of human interaction with it, especially resulting in catastrophes with biotechnology. Biotechnolo oh, big words in this. I can't what was read that again? this. Biotechnology. Right. I got that. <laughs> Many of his novels have medical or scientific underpinnings reflecting his medical training and scientific background. Sadly, he died on November the 4th, 2008, aged only 66 having been treated for lymphoma. So what did he do? So as a writer, he wrote... Quite a bit. Yeah, he did quite a bit. So I'm just going to concentrate on a few that we've, we've heard of, or I've certainly heard of, hmm. uh, and that's The Andromeda Strain in 1969, The Great Train Robbery in 1975, uh, Jurassic Park in 1990, and Timeline in 1999 were amongst some of his books. Uh, Dan, I believe you've have you been reading Timeline? Yes, uh, a couple of chapters in and just started. Um, I didn't realise I owned so many uh, Michael Crichton books. Uh, I think we managed to get them uh, passed down to us. Uh, one of our former guests to the show, uh, director Matt Mitchell, uh, sadly lost uh, his mum, who was a librarian. She sort of collected books and we helped him sort of clear out the house after she passed away. And I think we sort of inherited a set of books that I didn't realize we, we had. And um, I thought I'd only had two. I had Prey and Timeline. And just the other day, looking on the shelves, oh, there's a compendium of Andromeda Strain, Binary and uh, Rising Sun, I think, is the other one as well that is in there. Um, so I own more Michael Crichton than I realize. He, he does really creep up on you. He's, he's like a ninja in all aspects, which is impressive, given that he's six foot nine. 
Um, yes. <laughs> but but timeline itself, uh, it, it starts off really well, very readable. Uh, just like the previous episode we had about War of the Worlds, it's very approachable in in how it deals with um, its uh, issues and the techno babble that sort of comes along with the idea of this time travel, how it is discovered and and where it came about. There is a big distrust of corporations, which you definitely see in all the movie adaptations. I don't know whether that's true of the books. Again, I haven't read them, um, but you can see seeds of what is in Jurassic Park, what's in Westworld, and so many other things that is still in timeline. Having seen the film and not the book, I can already see there's a big difference as well between the two. Um, the way they discover time travel in the book is much more accidental as opposed to the movie, which kind of made it seem like there was a team of research scientists who were trying to figure out the puzzle of time travel and then stumble across the solution. Um, so it's proving really interesting, and I can't wait to finish it. Mm-hmm. So who was in the film? Do you know? Uh, Gerard Butler. Ah. And uh, Billy Colony was also in it as well, in one of his early acting roles. It was an early 2000 film. I think 2001 uh, is when it actually came out. Uh, and one of my favourites, uh, Anna Friel, uh, mm. who may be not name uh, internationally famous, but over here from uh, Brookie from Brookside, the short-lived soap opera from Channel Four. Um, she was uh, she played, I think, a French princess who Gerard Butler sort of falls in love with, and there's the that's the romance element of the story. Um, really interesting, really good because he defends a French castle using slightly more advanced wartime techniques because he's historian kind of knows what's going on and they're there to rescue uh, Billy Connolly's character who traveled there earlier and got trapped by the French um, and it's a very interesting film uh, very much of its time quite dated I think at the moment you know when you look back at the the CGI is not that great and you know it's it feels like a TV movie as opposed to a, a national sort of international release movie um, but the book is so far really entertaining I can't I can't wait to see how similar the two things are. It's not um, a book or a film I've heard uh, heard of uh, until you mentioned it. Um, and and I, I must admit, I, I, I wouldn't mind watching it. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to get a little collection together. I think of all of the Michael <laughs> Crichton stuff to to catch up on on things I've heard of, films I've heard of, and, and um, uh, like Disclosure is another one uh, mm. that he uh, that he wrote. Um, I've not seen that, but of course that was uh, made into a film. Um, yeah, so uh, Sean, you, you've you've only ever seen actually you've only seen Jurassic Park. Is that the only thing you've seen, or have you? Well, looking looking through the list of things here, um, and having Dan talk about timeline, that does sound vaguely familiar, and it does sound like something I would have watched twenty odd years ago, because uh, one of my favorite things, of course, is time travel and, and all that good stuff. Uh, so I, I may have seen it. Um, it looks like he's also written uh, the novel uh, Sphere, and I think that had uh, Sharon Stone in it, and it was underwater and all that stuff. I believe I've seen that. Uh, he he was involved with Twister, which I've seen parts of, but I I was on a big uh, anti Helen Hunt kick at that time, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> How could you be anti Helen Hunt for goodness' sake? I'd, I'd seen too much Mad About You, I think. <laughs> there's a shower scene with her in it oh, wow. oh well now you tell me now i gotta go watch it i have it on laserdisc but uh, i've never actually watched it uh rising sun didn't that have wesley snipes in it mm-hmm. yep. and i may or may not have seen the Andromeda strain movie uh i have vague recollections of maybe 20 30 years ago watching it late at night and then 
turning it off after about 20 minutes because it was boring. But uh, maybe I watched it all. I don't, I don't really remember. And I know I've ne never read any of his books. That's for sure. Let's just um, take a step back and go to um, the Andromeda Strain. I didn't know what the Andromeda Strain was. I, I'd heard the name, of course. And it's always been you know, considered a good film, a classic. Alien virus, isn't it? That's right. Well, we have the synopsis here. So let's see. Yeah. The United States government is given a warning by the preeminent biophysicists in the country. Uh, current sterilization procedures applied to returning space probes may be inadequate to guarantee uncontaminated re-entry to the atmosphere. Two years later, uh, 17 satellites are sent into the outer fringes of space to collect uh, organisms and dust for study. One of them falls to Earth, landing uh, in a desolate area of Arizona. Phew, that's close. 12 miles from the landing site in the town of P uh, Piedmont, if that's how you pronounce it, a shocking discovery is made. The streets are littered with dead bodies of the town's inhabitants, as if they dropped dead in their tracks. The terror has begun. Ooh. Yeah, see, that sounds like it'd be right up my alley, but uh, hmm. wasn't it made in like the early 70s? You see, that, that, that could be remade now, and instead of dead bodies everywhere, they become zombies, and, and it'll be a hit. Everybody will love oh, it. For sure. Hmm. Yeah. Another film I'd like to see, because this um, actually contains a couple of actors uh, that I like. Oh, this one here, I'm pointing to uh, my colleagues can see my backdrop here, is mm. The Great Train Robbery. 1975, this was made. And in teeming Victorian London, where lavish wealth and appalling poverty live side by side, Edward Pierce charms the most prominent of the well-to-do as he cunningly orchestrates the crime of the century. Who would suspect that a gentleman of breeding would mas could mastermind the daring theft of a fortune in gold? Who would predict the consequences of making the extraordinary robbery ab uh, aboard the pride of England's industrial era, the mighty steam locomotive? Based on fact, as lively as legend, and as stud and studied with all the suspense and style of modern <laughs> of a modern fiction master. Here is a classic caper novel set a decade before the age of dynamite, yet nonetheless explosive. And it stars Sean Connery, Donald Sutherland, and Leslie Ann Down. Well, you can't go wrong with them three. So No. And uh, according to my research, uh, Michael Crichton wrote the novel and the screenplay for the film. Uh, and I guess it was originally called The First Great Train Robbery. Ooh. Well, it could be. Oh, right. So it could be. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because around about the mid seventies, there was another great train robbery, wasn't there? The, was it the seventies? Was it? I think so. That. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. I'm also seeing that it's Jerry Goldsmith did the. Yes. I'm just I'm actually reading the poster in behind you here. Did the music. So Goldsmith and yep. Crichton seem to be a, a combination there as well. Oh, Goldsmith's not uh, too shabby at the old music, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say from 1975 to 1990, he didn't seem to do much, but he, well, he did. Um, it's just that he he, um, he, was, he was behind the camera more than anything. Um, 19, 1990, this is all his uh, writing, by the way. So uh, 1990 was Jurassic Park. Well, we all know that. We don't have to go through that one. Um, 1994 was Disclosure. An up-and-coming executive of the computer firm Digicom, uh, Tom Sanders is a man whose corporate future is certain. But after a closed-door meeting with his new boss, a woman, who is his former lover and has been promoted into the position he expected to have. Sanders finds himself caught in a nightmarish web of deceit in which he is branded the villain. 
As Sanders scrambles to defend himself, he uncovers an electronic trail into the company's secrets and begins to grasp that a cynical and manipulative scheme has been devised to bring him down. Did that have uh, Demi Moore in it? Uh, yes, it did. Aha. Good memory for a film I haven't seen. And um, Michael Douglas, Demi Moore. So that was that's why I mm. I remember the film because it was the two big actors of the day, along with Donald Sutherland again. Well, there you go. Imagine that. Mm. Just after that, he uh, wrote uh, The Lost World. Obviously, you know, he made a lot of money on the first one. He's certainly going to write another <laughs> one. Sequels. Me. Hey. And uh, Timeline in 1999, which we've just uh, discussed. And my research said he was a director on the Timeline game. Oh, yes. I think you're right. Oh, there's a game. It's a game. Ooh, apparently so. Well, that, yeah, it's, it's set during the Hundred Years' War, so you've got plenty of time to, to play a game in that. So there we go. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's bad enough trying to play a short game. A hundred years? A hundred <laughs> hours I can't even do. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. You know what? Now is a good time for. <laughs> go on. Another promo for another podcast right here on the ESO Network. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we're the hosts of the Watchathon of Rassilon. A podcast where we're watching through all of Doctor Who. And we're just about finished with the classic series. Depending on when you hear this, we may already be done. So why not go check for yourself? And while you're there, why not go ahead and listen to every single episode of the Watchathon of Rassilon? And watch as Joe loses his last little tenuous grip on sanity. The Watchathon of Rassilon, a proud member of the ESO Network. And we're back. Yes, thanks, Sean. And uh, so let's see what he's done as a director. Pursuit. Pursuit. His directorial debut uh, in this deadly cat and mouse game called Pursuit, which the stakes couldn't be higher. Why why does every film say that the stakes couldn't be higher? Well, some of these stakes must be higher than other stakes. I don't think that's true. I think I think mm. every individual uh, situation calls for its own high stakes scenario. Yeah, true. True. Keeps, keeps the excitement and the adrenaline going. Yeah. So when government agent Stephen Graves uh, investigates political extremist James Wright, uh, no relation, mm. he uncovers a diabolical plot. It's always a diabolical plot as well to blast lethal nerve gas into San Diego during the Republican convention. What's worse? A computer hacker, played by Martin Sheen, uh, has provided Wright with a psychological profile to help him out with Graves. As Wright ingen- ingeniously eludes Graves, can Graves find a way to stop him before the ultimate nightmare begins? So it's more, it's more gassy stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that was 1972. Then along comes 1973, where he makes his big, uh, you know, the, the, the big play now. I mean, this... This film, um, I think the ending of this film actually um, provided the ending for Terminator. Don't spoil it. I haven't seen it. Oh. I've, I've got it in my Amazon list, but I've never actually come across the thing. It's never been on TV. I've never seen it anywhere. I can't find it. Wow. I, I mean, it's, this is a, it's a great film. Um, they made, it was so good that they made a TV series out of it. I mean, Well, I, I saw part of the first uh, couple episodes of it and then i lost my hbo or whatever it was but mm-hmm. uh, yeah westworld uh yul brenner how could you go wrong right oh you can't go wrong he's fantastic in it and he plays um he plays a robot because um you know the, this is where vacationers can indulge whims at the theme park called westworld 
They can bust up a bar or bust out of jail, drop in on a brothel, or they can drop in, drop on a gunslinger. It's all safe. The park's lifelike androids are programmed uh, never to harm the customers. But not all droids are getting with the program. Okay. Yeah, one of them goes rogue. So Yul Brynner playing this, this android, um, he plays it deadpan, which is, you know, he always, that's his style. Um, he's a gunslinger, but he's played in a lot of westerns. So he's ideal for the part. Yeah, and, and you think I would have come across this movie since I hosted uh, the Rusted Robot podcast for like seven and plus years, and uh, it was all about robots and stuff. But no, I never, never did manage to watch it. Oh, you're slacking. You're slacking. <laughs> oh, a story of my life, bud. <laughs> did he also direct Future World, the sequel, or is it? Not according to what I looked up, but so that was a separate thing that's not based on his works or or anything to do with him they just sequelized it without his sort of consent i guess i think i have a feeling that is true um the reason it, it didn't contain any of the same people did it and it uh, mm, no it was no, a complete it, it's got nothing to do with it other than the fact that the same company is sort of trying to start the park up again but he did write five episodes of beyond westworld i guess it was a short-lived tv series ah it, it's always surprised me that they didn't try to reboot it sooner, given that the premise of it is that you could go to um, a cowboy world, you could go to a Roman world and medieval world. You, you know, TV sets, you know, get left in you know the stores all the time. That's why you get to see it all the time in all these other TV shows and things like that. And they just redress it. It'd be so easy for a TV show to just say, well, we could make a couple of episodes of a miniseries of Westworld and you know chuck in all our old sets that we built for this gangster movie that didn't do very well so we can make it for the cheap and why more tv networks didn't try and acquire the rights and get it made um it, it's surprising how long from that movie to the hbo series that it took right and and the old star trek used to use uh, the sets from the andy griffith show so they, they all exactly. shared and costumes were recycled and even uh, even Robin Williams' Mork costume was recycled from the original Star Trek, so mm. you would think there'd be more of that. Yeah, mm. I'm just just reading up on it quickly now. Uh, Michael Crichton did not wish to be involved in a sequel, so they made it without him. Got different writers uh, in, used the original producer, um, mm. and he developed the idea. So, yeah, there you go. And it, it had um, Peter Fonda as the uh, as the the main mm. star. So you'd think, you know, you got a good actor there. I, I have seen it, and it just didn't really. Uh, it failed. It, yeah, well, it became, it tried to become more of a political thriller. You know, they're yeah. replacing people with robots, and yes, they, they you know, it's a worldwide government Illuminati sort of thing trying to com control everything in the background, and then he goes on to sort of expose it and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it didn't it didn't have any of the DNA of of Westworld really, other than the fact that it's referencing that there was this old park and the old technology. Um, I just wondered if it was anything to do with him, but clearly not. He then went on to uh, to direct uh, Coma, uh, based on the novel by Robin Cook, and directed by Michael Crichton. Imagine your life hangs by a thread. Imagine your body hangs by a wire. Imagine you're not imagining. After her best friend falls into a coma during a routine surgery, Dr. Susan Wheeler discovers similar cases at her, at her prestigious... Boston Hospital. But as her investigation unfolds, Susan uncovers a horrific conspiracy and suddenly finds herself marked for death. 
Dr. Susan Wheeler was played by Genevieve Bujold, who was... Been. Yes, who would have been. Sean? Captain Catherine Janeway. That's correct. From Star Trek Voyager. And I was wondering if, uh, if he had written the book Coma, because I know I'd read, read a book by Robin Cook called Coma. I'm like, is there two Coma books? Couldn't be. But no, Robin Cook wrote the book and Crichton wrote the screenplay and directed the thing. So that does make a lot of sense because I've, I've, read, I've read a lot of Robin Cook back in the day, 30 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I came across this uh, story. Uh, have you guys heard of the Mad Magazine? I know it's a mm-hmm. thing. Yep, it's big yeah. thing in America. Yep. Um, when I was living abroad, uh, we used to they used to get a lot of American comics and, and you know a lot of Spider-Mans and Batman's and all that. Mad Magazine was one of them, and I always used to like it because the, the you know the back page you could fold it and it had a, you know, the picture that when you folded it it created a second picture and it was very clever. Uh, so I, I read a few of them, and one of them was because uh, they used to do a film spoof. They used to pick a film and then and do a little bit of a, a rewrite of it. And Coma was one of them. So I remember seeing this image of all these people hanging up and, uh, on you know wires and things. I thought, well, what the heck's all this about? Never knew what it was about. Um, and then I've obviously since heard of the film, seen clips of it, but never watched it. Because um, it's, it's it's not really my thing. It's like a medical thing and not into medical things. And they all look scary when they're all hanging on those wires. So after uh, Coma, 1978, and uh, The Great Train Robbery, which uh, was made into the film around about the same time. Um, we come into the 1980s, and he directs uh, Looker. Never heard of it. So Looker, 1981, never heard of it? No? Nope. This was one of these films that I had, I had seen. We spoke about this as one of, being one of my favourite films of the 1980s? Really? Maybe. Okay, maybe, really maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It. I have talked about it. Um, I remember um, because we, I came into this film halfway through. It was on TV. I came in and we didn't know what was going on. Was me and my friend Paul, and we we watched the, the remainder of it. And it wasn't until we got to the end we sort of realised that we'd missed a chunk of it and you know couldn't understand what was going on. So we had to watch it again. I think we rented it on VHS and we, we watched it again, and it all made sense. Wanted to see the beginning. So plastic surgeon Larry Roberts performs a series of minor alterations on a group of models who are seeking perfection. The operations are a resounding success, but when someone starts killing his beautiful patients, Dr. Roberts becomes suspicious and starts investigating, because that's what doctors do. They don't leave it to the police. They go all Quincy. What he uncovers are the mysterious and perhaps murderous activities of a high-tech computer company called Digital Matrix. And basically, it's all about subliminal messages, uh, advertising, where they would have... um, really attractive models and uh, they would send out a, a high frequency um, um, uh, image uh, in their eyes uh, on the screen and it, you know in a blink of an eye uh, quicker than that it would send out a message like it might be a picture of a hamburger or a picture of something that you really need and without realizing it you see this image and you want to go out and buy a hamburger or buy a new car or buy whatever it, whatever it is. So they're trying to use this hypnotism effect to uh, get advertisers to, to, to then uh, you know, buy into the idea and then they can basically hypnotize people into buying all of their products. Um, and, and the doctor realizes this and you know, it's, uh, it, it all uh, com- comes to a head at the end. But the, uh, the bit that we saw was um, they have these guns 
which do the same thing. They can hypnotize you to the point where you just you go into a, a trance. Uh, even if you're standing still, you know, you're standing upright in a trance, then somebody can come up to, come up to you and, and punch you in the mouth. And then you, you'll wake up and you're flying through the air backwards, going into a load of cardboard boxes, as the doctor finds out. And so they keep firing these guns at people and you know, he manages to get away, he jumps in a car, he drives off with his car, the guy's following him, trying to shoot him with his gun, and eventually he looks in the mirror and he gets caught by this hypnotism thing. And the car's ended up in a, in a fountain and he's, he wakes up with his car crashed in this fountain. And you don't see anything in between. You just see him going out and suddenly the, the fountain's there. And it, it, So it was, it was very confusing when we first saw it, but when you understand what the guns are uh, and why he has suddenly, he has these missing minutes or hours of his day for some reason you can't understand why and it's because they keep hypnotizing him to find out what he knows um so i, I had to, that's one of the films i had to try and buy uh, on dvd and took me quite a while to get the second film was uh, 1984 uh, runaway our, our good uh, buddy and uh, number one fan renee said that's a great film uh tom Selleck. I, I haven't seen it but uh, he highly recommends it Oh, it's, I absolutely recommend it as well. This came out, unfortunately, at the same time as Terminator. Um, um, so obviously at the, at the box office, it sort of, it should have done better because Terminator didn't do so well until it really came out on uh, VHS and then started really picking up the steam. Um, but this was a great film. And this is where I really see what Michael Crichton could do because he had uh, Gene Simmons as the bad guy. This Gene Simmons from Kiss, uh, not the mm -hmm. famous uh, female actress from, uh, from a long time ago. Um, and he plays uh, um, a, poli a police officer. It's uh, set in the future, and the plot is uh, the sinister plot is turning helpful robots into assassins. And a cop is caught in a deadly showdown with the madman controlling the killer machines. They were crafted for the purpose of serving man, but now, guided by an evil force, they are committing murder in this fast paced futuristic action adventure. Tom Selleck stars as Jack Ramsey, a sergeant in the Runaway Squad, a security force dedicated to the termination of defective or runaway robots. Ramsey and his assistant, uh, uh, Thompson, played by Cynthia Rhodes, who was a great actress but didn't go on to do much afterwards, uh, are called in when two electronic engineers meet violent deaths. They discover a link between the murders and the development of a terrifying new weapon by an evil mastermind. Ramsey and Thompson are attacked by murderous robots as they close in on the brilliant and insane electronics genius behind it all, Charles Luther. Of course, a name like Luther, you've got to be a bad guy. Uh, and that's played by Gene Simmons. Uh, then the daily, deadly chase begins. And this was a, uh, another great um, idea uh, where a robot goes mad in a house and these two are sent in to, to find out, you know, what's going on and they reckon there's a, you know, it's killed one of the occupants in this house and they have to go in and subdue this robot. But what they do at first is they send in a, a flying uh, robot device with a camera. We would call them a drone. This is 1984. <laughs> Drones hadn't been invented yet. And yet you see this thing fly in with the camera and looking around the, the house to find out what's going on and it finds the robot. The robot shoots the drone. Tom Selleck then has to go in and uh, disable the robot. A bit later on, they um, just Gene Simmons has got a, he's got a gun, and obviously they're chasing him. And um, he shoots this gun, and the bullet that comes out of it is rocket propelled. It also has a heat seeking uh, device at the front. Well, that's okay, but it's in a crowded area. You think, well, it'll go to the nearest heat seeking uh, per, you know, the 
first person it finds. No, it's set to a, a certain person's heat signature. So it chases Tom Selleck's character through you know, uh, a restaurant and et cetera. And you see this thing flying over the, 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 um, the tables and under the tables and round people and all this. It's a very clever um, you know, thinking about you know, future technology in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's a great um, fast action, you know, fast paced, um, really good thriller. And Gene Simmons is a great bad guy. I've seen him in two uh, two films that he played bad guys in. He's just naturally bad. You know, he looks evil. You know, he's got this you know, nine inch tongue that he has, um, you know, which uh, he likes to brag about. Um, yeah, so he starts taking that out. He goes, "Oh my god, this guy's the devil." So no, he does. Really, I mean, his, his acting is a little bit wooden, but then it's a bit more believable because he's the bad guy. Um, mm. But yeah, it's really good. Really good. Something, something we need to watch. Yes, it sounds it like something that could easily be adapted now. When you think of all the AI devices in your house, I'm not going to say her name because otherwise she'll react. But, um, you know, and then, you know, with a Roomba and all the other devices you could, you know, connect via Wi-Fi, you could easily have some murder mystery thing and then have someone who then goes out and stops these devices going rogue and, ha- and getting hacked and, and what have you. It, it'd be easily adaptable now. So it, it's, mm. it seems unusual that they haven't tried to do it. Right. Again. It'd, be, it'd be easier now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit uh, because back in '84, you're more distrustful of robots because there aren't many about. But now we have them about. It's mm. you know, I think what might happen is that you know the ending of of your film there, uh, Dan, would be a bit like War of the Worlds. They die with a you know because there's a bug, <laughs> there's a bug in the system, and they they all die because they. This, so it's the update the patch. The update <laughs> yes. patch just That's stops it. the whole thing. So it's just yeah. about to kill you. And they were all using Windows 10. And as soon as they went to Windows 11, that was it. They were all disabled. It was the Y2K bug, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> I totally see this movie. You say it was taken down by a Terminator, but there, it sounds like there's a lot of similarity with Blade Runner as well. Like, That's what I was thinking. Like a replicant hunter sort of thing. So do you feel like that because there are two other giant sci-fi iconic films that are two parts of the same premise that that's the reason it sort of has dipped away and hasn't really gained the the following it deserves i think you're right i think that yeah those sort of big iconic classics uh made by bigger directors and what have you um obviously you know we'll get more traction there will be one you know the the cinemas would want that you know that director's film who's this michael Mm. crichton Oh, what he did? Mm. Westworld? No, never heard of it. So yeah, I mean the the you know films like that would disappear under you know into the background compared to you know some of the big ones. So yeah, it's sad because it, it really is a good film, and uh, mm. there's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's a good standalone one-off type of film. You're not going to see any sequels from it, um, or it, well, you, you, I suppose you could make a TV series out of it, but nowadays, you know, I suppose they could do nowadays because the robots are becoming a little bit more robotic and humanoid so mm. so yeah so it makes more sense because back in those days that the robots were sort of cleaning robots that were big robbie the robot type things but with wheels you know mm. they, they were big monstrous things that would make you dinner because your wife isn't there or you live on your own or something uh, they look after the kids and put them to bed but it's just a thing on wheels so it's not a it's not a you know not got two feet and walking around so uh, yeah but I, I, I mean, if you can find it on Amazon or find it anywhere else, I'd advise you to watch it. It really is a good film. I've got mm. a DVD, so I'm all right. I'll keep my eye out. <laughs> um, so then, uh, I mean, that's that 
pretty much um, you know, a lot of his films were made there. But then he, uh, as a screenwriter, I mean, he was the screenwriter for um, Westworld, Coma, The Great Train Robbery, Looker, Runaway, Jurassic Park. And then we get uh, Rising Sun, which we mentioned before about uh, Wesley Snipes uh, being called to investigate the murder of a call girl in the bedroom of a Japanese corporation, accompanied by a detective with an unusual knowledge of Japanese culture, played by Sean Connery. Well, you know, what's so unusual about that? Uh, the two men must travel the mist- uh, sorry, unravel the mystery behind the murder by entering an underground shadow world of futuristic technology, ancient ways and confusing loyalties. Now they go, oh, there must have been technology somewhere, otherwise it wasn't going to be a Crichton thing, was it? So. Mm. And then he was also, um, he co-wrote um, uh, Twister with, uh, obviously, uh, one of my favourite films again. And of course, you put this on and go, oh, he's, he's been involved in Twister as well. For goodness sake. <laughs> so we all know Twister. TV weatherman, TV weatherman Bill Harding is trying to get to his to- tornado hunter wife, Joe, to sign divorce papers so he can marry his girlfriend, Melissa. But Mother Nature, in the form of a series of intense storms sweeping across Oklahoma, has other plans. Soon the three have joined the team of storm chasers as they attempt to insert a revolutionary measuring device into the heart of several extremely violent tornadoes. Um. I, I think this is a fabulous film. They're talking about remaking it, and I hope they don't. Um, it, it's, oh, what can I say? Helen Hunt. Um, you, you've got, um, oh, names are just dropping on my head. Uh, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton is brilliant. I think this is his best film, mm. uh, mm. mainly because he is the lead. Um, and he, can, he shows what you can actually do. Um, and, of course, the guy from Men in Tights. Oh, uh, Carrie Lewis? Carrie Elwes? Carrie Elwes. Yeah, Carrie Elwes. Again, another guy I really, really like. really love his acting style. Um, plays the bad guy really well. Plays the good guy really well. Mm. Princess Bride, used, of course. I enjoyed the ride. Back when it was the ride. You know, the experience, the Twister uh, walkthrough thing uh, in Florida? No, I never got to yeah. see that. No. Ah, it was, after, it was good. Just after my time. Uh, it was good. It was good. I think it's now been replaced with some other spectacular thing at uh, Universe. Uh, no, Hollywood Studios. Um, it was always funny though because they had the flying cow um, go past you when you actually went into the room, uh, and the intro video was uh, Bill Paxton. They they clearly filmed it during the making of the film, and he'd just been given these lines and. Uh, probably not enough time to sort of learn them or prepare. And he is clearly reading from a, a cue card. It's like, you are about to experience the pure, raw uh, energy of a tornado. <laughs> and he's just he's just <laughs> clearly reading from this thing. Um, but, you know, a really impressive sort of situation. You, you line up, there's three rows. You, you can line up uh, either at the front to get the full experience or, or towards the back to sort of get a, a lesser experience. And everything around you is being destroyed by these wind machines going off. Um, and it was a really, really in, important ride, really, to, to go through, because you didn't have to go on a roller coaster, you didn't have to loop-de-loop or anything like that. You could just experience the ride. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a shame it had to go, but I, I enjoy the film, and I enjoy like, a good disaster movie anyway. So, uh, yeah, oh, I'm surprised he was involved again. It's just one of those things. No, I mean, I've loved the film since it first came out and I've watched it many times on, on DVD without realising that he was involved. Mm. But yeah, really good film. I love it. Um, of course, he, um, as um, a producer, 
he produced well there you go you see as a producer he was also involved in twister uh disclosure of course sphere we've spoken about and uh the 13th warrior uh, which 33 we, episodes of er exactly he created er he was one of the creators creators of er wow right? hmm. so there yeah. you go um 13th Warrior, uh, Antonio Banderas brings a huge, huge star power to an immensely thrilling action adventure from the hit maker of Die Hard and the Thomas Crown Affair. Well, it can't be all that bad, then, if it's <laughs> the same director as Die Hard. An exiled ambassador far from his homeland, uh, Banderas comes across uh, a fierce band of warriors who are being attacked by ferocious creatures, legendary for devouring all living things in their path. And when an old fortune teller warns that the comp uh, combatants uh, that they are doomed to failure without a 13th warrior Ahmed is given no choice but to join their battle and help conquer the mysterious enemy suspenseful and endlessly exciting this exhilarating hit is sure to thrill anyone who enjoys an uh, action on an epic scale there you go who writes these things <laughs> someone who's paid clearly too much it's like, uh, what, what word am I going to use this time? Oh, diabolical. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. yes. Probably Michael Crichton himself. Yeah. Uh, considering he came off his website, he probably did. Yes. <laughs> it is the greatest thing he has ever written. Do that. <laughs> yes. Every time. <laughs> Five stars. The greatest thing he has written since the last thing he has written. <laughs> so there you go. Michael Crichton. Um, the the, mm. the six foot nine ninja director, writer, producer who sneaks up on you when you're not looking and mm. inserts himself into your title at the end credits of your films. I mean, it's a good thing you didn't become an NBA star or something, you know, just uh, the <laughs> yes. height advantage you would have had. Well, that's right. It just, it just reminds me of that scene from, uh, from The Simpsons where the, the tall guy gets out the car. <laughs> <laughs> just unfolds himself. But there you go. Sad to see that uh, he died in uh, 2008. I mean, I think he, he could have gone on and, and you know, directed or written certainly some more books and films, created mm. them, made them into, into films, produced them. Um, I think we lost uh, quite a talent. And it's only reading, of course, the genre that he, he writes, you know, it's a technology gone mad and you know, how the humans don't react too well with it or it, it attacks them or whatever. And you see that in virtually every thing he's done. Um it, and I hadn't realised that that was actually a genre I liked until I started mm. looking at my DVD collection, thinking I own a lot of films where pe pe robots go mad and people get killed. <laughs> so I think I think I might have to just um, spend a bit of time and money and and, and buy a, a sort of selection of his of his films and DVDs, see if I can find them. Mm. They I sound like the right upper alley. Yeah, yeah, it sounds perfect for us. Like, why have we not like actively sought out crime? Why are we not crime nights? I don't know. Because he's kind of under the radar. You know about him, but you don't really know about him. Mm. See, that, that's probably the thing with him being so tall and me being so small. I've probably gone right through his legs and not even noticed. And he's, he's gone straight <laughs> over me, and I've, he's gone—he's gone way above my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a—it's a Gulliver's Travelers situation. You, you know, the little ones and the big enders <laughs> yeah. just can't see each other. That's fine. Yeah, you can just imagine if you if you come over to the UK and you know, next minute there's loads of ropes going over him. We're tying him down. Go, Hang on, this is Michael Crichton. <laughs> Get the Crichton, get the Crichton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's kicked me in the Crichton nights. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, there we go. Michael Crichton. Sadly missed. Yeah. 
but his films live on forever. Sean, do the ending. Yeah, I'm just putting it in the chat. Hang on one second here. <laughs> so, our special is gone, and the grease in the box is cold, but we hope you're full to the brim. So, join us for more slices of life in the next special delivery of the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Right here on the ESO Network. Today we've been your deliverers, so please leave a tip at the door by subscribing for future deliveries, rate and review our service, and we hope you come back for more helpings next time. You can find us, as we mentioned, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok by searching for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. If you'd like to send us an MP3 file, you can email us at cosmicpizzapodcast at hotmail.com, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. learned a lot we yeah. had fun and we informed of the audience perfect maybe we should do like a catch-up in a year's time you know uh Crichton a year on did we actually watch any of these films and <laughs> i'll be the shortest podcast did you watch anything no 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 time <laughs> i didn't read anything nope. yeah. no. you still reading timeline dan yes yes I'm still <laughs> yes i keep i keep going back to 600 years and then when i get back <laughs> to the future again i keep going back 600 years and i keep Goddamn temporal mechanics. Yes, <laughs> I've, I've started reading it by going 600 years back first, then working my way through to the future. I have to read chapter 32 first, and then followed by chapter 34, but 33 was much more interesting, but set in the later century, so can't do it. Uh, <laughs> must be an affliction that you have now after you read a book. <laughs> Oh, come on. You've done the time travel second. Oh, come on. Jesus, you're starting the future. Oh, crying out loud. I'll have to look out. I'll have to, I'll have to go over to Snips and see what he's got in the way of Crichton stuff. Mm. You, know, you got the list now. You can uh, mm. just bring it with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have. Um... <laughs> yeah. I've written it on a toilet roll. No. <laughs> yeah, this, is... this one. Yeah. Binary? There we go. <sighs> this has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>